0: The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. And we want to think about him tonight, so I would like to encourage you to reach out your hand and open with me in God's Word to Ruth chapter 4. Stretch out your hands in the pew rack there. There's a Bible in front of you, a blue Bible. Let's open in the Old Testament to Ruth in chapter 4. It's on page 224 of the Bible in the Purach. And that that may seem like a strange place to turn on Christmas Eve. Uh, But uh, if you've been with us at any point during the season of Advent, we have been walking through this delightful little story in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament to see the unfolding purposes of God. We've been calling this Christmas According to Ruth. And Along the way, hopefully I've convinced you, certainly convinced myself, that it is quite possible to preach uh, and know about Christmas from the Old Testament and to see Jesus on the pages of the Old Testament. Uh, As we come to the conclusion of this delightful little book, just four chapters long, we come in, starting in verse 13 through the end of the chapter tonight, we're going to be introduced to a child who's going to be born which strikes familiar on a Christmas Eve night. But I want us to see how the story of the child that is born here in Ruth chapter 4, which takes place actually in Bethlehem, is also a forerunning and a foreshadowing to a reality that is still a thousand years away at this time. The birth of another child whom we've already sung of tonight And so what I want us to do is to see how perhaps this less familiar story of Ruth shows us the the more familiar story of Christmas, but takes that familiar story and and blows it wide open to see really the marvel of what God is doing when he gives us his son. And so to prepare our hearts for God's word this evening, uh, let us pray and ask God's blessing upon his word. Father... We bow now in your presence, thankful that you have brought us here, thankful that we have a Bible and a language that we can read and understand, and we pray now, Lord, that as we gather, that your spirit would unite us all together, and also that your spirit would rest upon us individually to illuminate our minds, to give understanding about what it is that you have given to us here in your word, to illuminate our hearts, to receive with faith the things that you have spoken to us. And Lord, that you would illuminate our very souls to own Christ in our hearts again. And so, Father, come, we pray, in the power of your Spirit to reveal your Son to us here in the book of Ruth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, dear friends, hear God's word from Ruth. In chapter 4, starting at verse 13 through the end of the chapter, this is the Word of God. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. and He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. And I encourage you to keep your Bible open there as we look to this genealogy together on Christmas Eve. Now, uh, just to set something in context here, you know, it's really amazing to, to think about your life, and to think about the course of your life, and the individual seasons of your life, and the times and places where you have been, and how all those times and all those seasons have led you here and in God's care where your life is headed from here on out. It's amazing to think of the various times throughout our lives where things could have gone a totally different direction. As I think about that, I think about the fact that my father moved my family from the East Coast to St. Louis, Missouri, where I grew up. I Think about the particular high school where I went to and a high school teammate who got me recruited to play football in Central Illinois. The people that I met in that school going out to Boston for a couple of years and then to be brought here. It's amazing that our lives intersect each other, and in all the ways we stop and wonder about what God was doing in various seasons of our lives that brought us to where we are now, and to be amazed at that as we begin to appreciate the fact that not just your story is woven together by God's providence, but that all of our stories are woven together in the infinite capacities of God's providence who is revealing his purposes. That's amazing to think about across our lives. It's amazing to think about across the story of the Bible. And I want us to think about that as it relates to Christmas, of course, because if you can go in in your mind's eye to that image of the nativity, where the little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. You can go there in your mind, I'm sure. Just stop and appreciate for a moment all that has to happen for that moment to take place. All the events of history, all the events of individual people's lives and nations and councils of nations. Think about the fact that Mary and Joseph were traveling to Bethlehem because there was an imperial census which means the rise of the Roman Empire is a factor in the events of the unfolding purposes of God's story. Now, that's just one example of all the things that have to take place in order to bring about the night where Jesus is born. But it's a reminder to us, isn't it, that God's story unfolds in real places, in real time, with real people. And it is all bringing about the unfolding purposes of God's salvation So we think about Bethlehem on that night, but really we need to backtrack, and when we backtrack, we're backing into the book of Ruth a thousand years before the birth of Jesus to the birth of another child. We read about him here in Ruth chapter 4, and just like we sing in the Christmas hymn, I want to ask the question, what child is this here in Ruth chapter 4? And what does this child have to do with the Christ child, and what does all of that have to do with you? Well, as you see this child in Ruth chapter 4, he's not on Mary's lap sleeping. He's on the lap of another woman named Naomi. Now we met Naomi back in chapter 1 when Naomi and her husband Elimelech and her two sons left the town of Bethlehem to leave the promised land and go east away from the land of the people of God into the region of Moab, searching for relief from a famine that was in Bethlehem in the house of bread. Except instead of relief from the famine, Naomi and her family come across complete disaster because Naomi's husband dies and Naomi's two sons die as well in the course of about 10 years. And Naomi comes back to Bethlehem after all of this time. She makes this lonely journey back to Bethlehem where when she comes back, she says, the Lord has brought me back empty. Naomi is a a woman who has been drained of all of her hope. Life has left her battered and wounded and she is in deep distress, but she's not totally alone. Because along with Naomi travels her new daughter-in-law, Ruth, the Moabite girl who told her mother-in-law on the way back from Moab, headed to Bethlehem, where you go, I will go. And your people will be my people and your God will be my God as well. And the unfolding story of what God is doing in the book of Ruth is a story about how God restores hope to the hopeless and binds up those who are broken and preserves the family lineage of Naomi and Ruth through a kinsman redeemer named Boaz, a man who acts in covenant love and faithfulness to redeem and bless Naomi and Ruth to preserve their family land and inheritance and their name. Now, if you're not familiar with the story, that's the basic summary. But across four chapters, the story unfolds with masterful precision and high amounts of drama But for many people, most people are just familiar with Ruth as it relates to this love story between Ruth and Boaz. And it is that, of course, but it's much more as well. More than a love story between two people, the book of Ruth is a love story of God's love for his people, especially people like Naomi. People like Naomi who wonder if God really cares about them who wonder about whether or not God really knows what he's doing when it comes to ruling the universe, who cry tears and who have broken hearts and who wonder if God is even good, if he's even there at all. And it is a love story of wooing back the hearts of people like Naomi to see that God is good and kind and faithful. We find Naomi after having been wounded and broken-hearted in chapter 1, speaking of her in chapter 4 as one whose life has been restored, whose very faith has been given back to her through the gift of this child. And what child is it? Well, here at the end we have this genealogy. Now, I understand that some people are very much into genealogy and family history, Most people, though, I I find tend to skip over genealogies, especially genealogies in the Bible because they're not really sure what they're there for anyway, and most of the names are hard to pronounce, and what's it all for anyway. But in this genealogy, there is a message that what God was doing in the life of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz was actually so much more than they ever thought or could have dreamed of that God was doing something in their lives, which is also something that God was doing in our lives as well. You and I need what this genealogy is saying to us. Because here at the end, we find that Boaz and Ruth bear a son whose name is Obed. Obed. And the life of Obed is saying that God is preserving this family, that there's another generation of the family of Elimelech, Naomi's deceased husband. Boaz and Ruth have a son. And then with this son, Obed, there is a grandson for Naomi. Naomi, who thought she would never smile again, who thought she could never feel love again, holds her first grandchild and looks upon this child and suddenly her hopes are restored to her. There is this grandson for Naomi and for the line of Obed because Boaz is the father of Obed and then we read that Obed is going to have a son named Jesse and from Jesse we find that David is going to come great King David, Israel's greatest king, the book of Ruth is saying that Ruth, this former foreigner and pagan girl, is in the royal lineage of King David. But even more so than that, the Bible tells us that it is from the royal lineage of David that the son of David and the king of the Jews, the greater son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to come. That's what you would read if you were to read the opening chapter of Matthew. That Jesus is a bloodline relative of David who is a bloodline relative of Obed. The book of Ruth is therefore this essential link in the story. Because think of of the consequences. Without Ruth and Boaz, no Obed. Without Obed, no Jesse. Without Jesse, no David. Without David, no Jesus. And if there is no Jesus, then we would all be just like Naomi in Ruth chapter 1, brokenhearted and hopeless. But that's not the case. Because this is the story of how hope breaks into hopelessness about how God restores and redeems both for the sake of this particular family that we read about in Ruth but ultimately for all of the race of humanity God brings hope into hopelessness and restores and redeems and heals all things. Because the Bible is always asking this question. Is this the child? Is this the child? Is this the promised child? And we have to answer that question when we read about the birth of Obed because people would have asked that question. Is this the, the long promised child? And when you ask that question, and you get a hint when you look at your bulletin cover what that's all about. Because way back in time, all the way back in the garden, after sin had entered the world, God made a promise That there was one who was going to come, who would be born of a woman, who would be the seed of the woman, who would crush the head of the snake, that ancient serpent, the devil himself, Satan. That the world had fallen into sin and with it the curse of death, but there was a promised child who would come into the world to reverse the curse of sin and destroy death by treading upon the serpent. That's all the way back in the book of Genesis. And every time you find in the Bible the birth of a son, the question is supposed to be asked, is this him? Is is this the one that God spoke of in Genesis chapter 3 who would deliver us from all of our sins and would crush the head of the serpent? Is it Obed? Really, long before Obed even existed, Adam asked that question of Seth Is this the child? And all through the narrative of the Bible, through the patriarchs and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the question is again and again and again Is God finally going to fulfill his promises? Is this the child? We're looking for him. We have waited for him. We have long been under the burden of our sin. When is this child going to come? And time moves on and generations rise and pass away. And here we see Obed to Boaz and then Jesse and David. And it's David, of course, who's going to reign over God's kingdom and restore the hopes of the people of God. But is he the one who's going to crush the head of the serpent? And the answer is no, it's not David. But it is a son of David. And on and on and on for thousands of years if you've ever felt like you have waited for something, the Bible is a story of waiting for this fulfillment. When is this child going to come? So you can then, I hope, imagine, or as we sing, thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. When on the night in Bethlehem, the same city where all of the events of the book of Ruth take place, Bethlehem, the city of Boaz, Bethlehem, the city of David, another child is born. And as the shepherds gather after the angels sing, the question is asked again. What child is this? Is this the one? And the answer is finally yes. All the hopes of all of humanity have waited upon the birth of this child, this long promised child, the one born of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent, the one who will tread the devil under his foot and diminish the kingdom of darkness and cancel the penalty of our sins through his death and empty the power of the grave through his victorious resurrection. The Lord Jesus Christ is the promised child, and all of our hopes are fixed on him. And there is no other one in all the world to fulfill any hope that we have. But in this one, every hope is sealed and fulfilled, and every promise is yes. So what does that that mean? Because the book of Ruth is saying it's coming. And God is faithful. And you must wait. And so I think there there is in here, immediately in chapter 4, but then in a bigger picture, I think two notes of encouragement for us on Christmas Eve. There's probably a million, but how about just two? The first one is, immediately relevant and practical for all of us, but especially for, for parents and grandparents and really anybody who is in the scope of influence over children, whether they're your nieces or your nephews or grandnieces and nephews, whoever they are. This genealogy at the end of Ruth is saying so much to us about the unfolding purposes of God and revelation history to reveal Jesus Christ, but it's also saying something totally simple at the same time about covenant nurture of our children because it's saying who Ruth and Boaz have this son. And Ruth and Boaz would have never imagined that their great-grandson would be the king of Israel because there was no king in Israel at this time. They would have never thought that. And further, they could have never imagined that 14 generations after David, there would be the Messiah, and they would be the great, 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 and on and on grandparents of that child. They would have never thought that. But it does say something to us about the importance of raising our children to believe in and trust the Lord. Because... Ruth and Boaz must nurture their son, Obed, who Obed would turn around and raise a son named Jesse, and Jesse would turn around and raise a son named David. David, that shepherd boy who is a young man full of faith. And where did he learn it? From his faithful family. Where do our children learn that God loves them Where will our children hear the good news if not from our lips? We must tell them. I know it's the sincere desire of every parent to want good things for their children. We want them to have good health, good life, and all the rest. But the greatest thing that we can give to our children and grandchildren is an inheritance of faithfulness. To believe in and trust the Lord Jesus Christ as he has offered to us in the gospel. So, the encouragement in that is for you not to miss, amidst all that's happening in the season and amidst all that you'll do tomorrow, to not miss God's greatest gift to us and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and therefore to spread the blessing of God upon your household and your family. That matters. It's such a simple thing, isn't it? But it matters so deeply as Ruth and Boaz nurture a son who will nurture a grandson and on and on. But secondly, in a bigger picture, as I mentioned, I lived in Boston for a couple of years and I flew in and out of there a lot, sometimes At night, and I don't know if you've ever flown into Boston at night, but you land in Logan Airport, that is right off of the bay. And when you fly in at night, you you come around from the ocean side and you literally see nothing except black ocean beneath you. You see no light, literally until you are just about on the ground and you see the runway lights, finally as a passenger to know that you're going to touch down safely. But it's a fearful thing to think, what's beneath me and where is it safe to land? And the genealogy in Ruth chapter 4 is like a runway that is pointing us toward the safe place to land. And it's saying, this is the way. And this is the direction that our hopes need to go to scripture guides us generation by generation through the darkness to the only safe place to land and it's all pointing us towards the Lord Jesus Christ I'm not sure I'm not sure what you need tonight I'm not sure what questions you have I'm not sure what doubts you have what fears and what sorrows But one thing that I am absolutely certain of is that whatever your fears and whatever your questions and whatever your sorrows, all of your hope is found in this child, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the safe place to land. As the prophet Isaiah says, he is our peace. And how desperately we need it How desperately we need it in our lives, in our families, in our community, in our nation, among all nations. But most importantly, how we need peace with God. And that peace is found in Jesus Christ. And the book of Ruth is this tiny story amidst the ultimate story of what God is doing to reveal that peace to us in Jesus Christ through him. And so what that means at the end here is that I just simply want to invite you to renew your hope in Jesus or perhaps for the very first time to lay your trust upon him and find that he is a safe place to land and to bring him all of your love and all of your trust and to embrace him as your redeemer and then to worship him as your king because there simply is no other place and it is a safe place to find all of your hopes realized. Let us pray. Father, how we thank you and how we delight in the Lord Jesus tonight who was born for us that we might have for the fullness of hope and joy. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would look upon each one of us and that you would nurture in us the faith that we need to lay hold of you and to know that faith is not something that we work up within ourselves, but that it is merely the outstretched hand that is empty and receives the fullness of your grace in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, help us to receive him again and renew our trust in him and to call upon his name. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.